0: It is a joy to be back on the campus of Montana Bible College and to share with you from the Word of God and about the ministry that God has laid upon our hearts and given us uh, responsibility for as far as serving as a director. Rocky Southwest Bible Church Extension is a mouthful. And there's a story behind that, but I don't have time to tell you right now, except for there were two boards of two different independent mission agencies that were merging together. And when you have about 16 guys sitting around a table trying to come up with a name, this is what we ended up with. And as a director, I just have to bear it and deal with it, but uh, RSBCE for short, all right? We are a church planning agency affiliated with the IFCA International, a fellowship of independent Bible churches and pastors, and we serve in the Colorado, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas geographical region of the United States. Presently, we have two of our locations that missionaries have stepped away from the ministry, and so we're looking for God to provide. I shared with a couple of students earlier, from my perspective, ASAP. And then God says, in my timing, <laughs> but we're looking for God to provide a couple of missionary pastors, one in Severance, Colorado, which is just outside of uh, Fort Collins, and one down in Arizona, up in the mountains, by Payson, Christopher Creek Community Bible Fellowship. And we'd love to talk to you if God is leading you in that direction of pastoral ministry, missionary enterprise, and church planting, a vision for seeing the church of Christ multiplied and growing in communities where there is little or no testimony for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were singing that song and talking about when saints of old, and I stand up here and, you know, been married for 43 years, and, and i I feel like I'm, you know, on that other end of the journey. And what have I got to say to those who are just beginning or perhaps in in that journey that would be profitable to them? You know what the Lord told me? Not verbally, just laid up on my heart. You don't have anything to say to them, so just shut up. (laughs) And let me do the speaking through you, (laughs) all right? And that comes through the Word of God, right? That comes from the Word of God. And so I invite you to take your Bibles this morning with me. And turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 9. A very familiar passage. We'll be there in just a moment. In Acts, chapter 9. Now, I want to introduce my message this morning. And I was going to use an illustration. Then I got thinking again about, you know, I'm 67, almost 67 years of age. And so I'm going to reference something that some of you may have never even heard of. Do anybody Does anybody here remember an old TV series called Mission Impossible. I see a few hands. (laughs) Okay. All right. Mission Impossible. It was a TV series about special agents who would meet together and they'd always get this little recording, if you'll remember, a tape recording that would self-destruct. And it would tell them what their mission was going to be. And then it always said, if you accept this mission, and then it would self-destruct. Now, what always intrigued me about that show was, the fact, the title was Mission Impossible. But the agents always accepted the mission, and they always accomplished the mission. Now, I want us to think about this idea of Mission Impossible. And for sake of time, I cannot go into all the passages of Scripture I'd love to this morning. Some of those will be very familiar to you. But... The Lord Jesus Christ, is, goes without saying, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a mission, has he not? He's giving us a mission. And that mission relates to the, the statement that he made in Matthew, where he says, I will build my church, which was referenced earlier. I will build my church. And so I've always said this, and I think it's got biblical foundation, that in the entire world today, in This dispensation, if I can use that term. There's only one entity of people that have the highest purpose and value before Almighty God. It's called His church. His redeemed ones. His called out ones. And so the mission He's given to us, and you know these passages, but in Matthew chapter 28, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. In Mark chapter 16, go and preach to all nations. In Luke, Luke says that, that, it was, that the gospel was to be preached, repentance and faith was to be preached to all nations. In Acts chapter 1, we know the verse very well, chapter 1, verse 8, you are my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. And we look at this mission that we are going to take this message of the risen Christ. We're in Passion Week, are we not? We take this message of a risen Christ to the whole world. And we say, man, that's mission impossible. That is mission impossible. How in the world can we take that message to the entire world? And we're still at it 2,000 years later, are we not? And from a purely human standpoint of view, that mission is impossible. Impossible. But if you go back into those texts where we have the passages that relate to the Great Commission. As Jesus Christ gave that commission to to his disciples, to his apostles, and through inspired scripture to us. He did so in the context of inferring or stating very plainly that the mission is not impossible because of the eternal plan and power of God. You remember in those passages that uh, Matthew chapter 28, in particular, verse 18, Jesus says, all power has been given unto me, right? And most of you are aware that that word power is not the word dunamis. That is used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The enabling power of the Holy Spirit to make us witnesses. But in Matthew, the word is not dunamis, it's exousia the authority, the sovereign right of God himself rests in Jesus Christ. And it's out of that sovereign right of God, the authority of Jesus Christ, that you and I move into this world to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build up the church of God through evangelism and discipleship, through worship and teaching and training. Furthermore, if you'll remember in in Luke's writings, Luke infers that uh, they are to wait for the promise of the Father, right? The promise of the Father. And so as Jesus Christ gives this commission to his apostles, to his disciples, to us, he says, you have a pretty big mission. You have a, a global mission. But undergirding that mission is the eternal plan of God and the omnipotent power of a risen Christ and dwelling us by the Holy Spirit. Now, with that in mind, what I want to ask this morning is, what does it look like in your life and mine if we embrace that mission individually in our lives? What does it look like? Now, granted, it's not going to look the same thing for everybody. But what would it look like as I embrace that mission? Here's the sovereign risen Lord who has all authority commissioning us to a a mission of global evangelism, discipleship, building up his church. And if I embrace that, what does it look like? You have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9. On the pages of Scripture, there stands a man who is very familiar to us, especially from this passage, right? (laughs) Saul of Tarsus, or Paul as we know him, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was engaged in the early century in taking the mandate, the mission that Christ gave into the world at that time. And so from his life, I want us to just glean some principles that I think are applicable to us in our generation. Don't misunderstand me. The experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus is unique to Paul. But out of that experience, there are truths, there are principles revealed in that in Scripture that I believe apply to us as we embrace the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel to all generations. So what does it look like? Well, first of all, notice with me in this passage, and it's familiar to you, but as we embrace the mission, it begins with a personal encounter with the risen Lord. It begins with a personal encounter with the risen Lord. And I emphasize that because in this passage, we have a Saul of Tarsus traveling along a road when suddenly there's something that happens in his life that changes him forevermore and without laboring this because I don't have the time but Paul's pre-encounter life is interesting to study you read through the book of acts and through the epistles and you begin to glean and gather uh, a number of things about the Apostle Paul that, that characterized his life before this encounter here in Acts chapter nine. Without laboring it, but he was a Jew from the city of Tarsus. He was born a free Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a student of one of the leading teachers in Judaism of that day, Gamaliel. And he was a student of Greek as well as Jewish literature. And there is no question in my mind that Paul's background was used in the shaping of his life for the ministry that God would call him to in this encounter. And students, I don't know you personally at all. Your faculty members get to know you a little better than I would ever would in just one chapel uh, message. Your journey and background, I want you to understand, is a part of the sovereign work of God in preparing you for the ministry. You may not understand how it fits in right now, but as you walk with the Lord, as you embrace what He has for you in, in serving Him, You're going to see that there are parts of that experience of life before I came to faith in Christ that shaped me for what God is using in my life now. Those things that are under the blood of Christ are removed forevermore. But there are experiences of life that God will use as he shapes you for the ministry. Let me share this with you as well. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, These things I counted as what? Loss or dumb, right? Now understand, in that context, Paul was, was referring to all these things that related to his Judaistic, Pharisee, religious activity of life. He says, I no longer clutch those things to my life as being valuable to know the righteousness of God. I count them as dung, that I might know the true righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the idea of whatever happened in our life in, in, in our pre-conversion experience before we met Christ needs to be weighed out in the light of biblical truth. But a sovereign God uses it all to shape our lives ministry. Now, here in Acts chapter 9, let's look for just a brief moment at this encounter that changed the Apostle Paul forevermore. I don't want to labor this too much. Let me just draw a couple of truths here to our attention. First of all, notice in verse number 3 that this encounter was sovereignly initiated by a gracious God. Paul wasn't walking the road to Damascus on some quote-unquote seeking after some religious experience, right? He had his religious experience already. We know why he was going there. We'll come to that in just a moment in more detail. But in this journey to Damascus, Suddenly, a God of grace sovereignly stepped into his life and arrested his attention. And I don't know when that happened for you. But in order for us to embrace the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must recognize that at one point in our life, God sovereignly in grace encountered us, invaded our lives With the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. Notice that this encounter. Verses 4 and 5. This encounter brought deep conviction. In the heart of Saul. There was a penetrating question. That was asked of him. Saul. Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And then there was a a humble submission of a convicted sinner. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Pretty hard to kick against the sticks. And then thirdly, this encounter not only was initiated by a sovereign God of grace, that brought conviction to the heart of Saul and a submissiveness of his will to, to the Lord, but it brought a total submission to whatever God would do. Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Let me ask you students, have you spent some time in the presence of the risen Christ with that question on your heart? Lord, What is it you would have me to do? I long to embrace the mission you've given to us as your followers. What does that look like in my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ? What would you have me to do? this resulted in this submissive heart to a call of God. Look at verse 15 in chapter 9. The Lord says to Ananias that you go to him for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And then there's something else here that I As often as I studied this passage, it just didn't seem to to register in my mind until more, more recently. All of this experience on the road to Damascus that converted the Apostle Paul from the religious Pharisee to a devoted follower of Christ ended in what? Public testimony of believers' baptism. And don't misunderstand me. Baptism is not a part of salvation. It is an evidence of it. But here's the Apostle Paul who had this traumatic experience on the road to Damascus. And as he comes to Damascus and meets with believers and shares with them what has happened, he gives testimony of that reality of conversion in his life. Through baptism. You see, it is this sovereign work of God that brings us into relationship with the risen Christ through faith in Him by the grace of God active in our life that puts us on the journey of embracing the mission of Christ as His follower. But notice something else with me and go back to verse 6. Embracing the mission of Christ not only does it demand an encounter with the risen Lord, a personal encounter where our life is transformed by the reality of God's saving grace, but also it demands submission by the follower of Christ or by the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the words in verse 6, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, in this surrender, I think there's evidence in the text here that it involves the heart, the emotion, and the will. Let's look at it, first of all, at the heart. One of the issues that confronts every believer is how and where they will embrace the mission given to us by the Lord. Now granted, not every believer will embrace the mission that is the mandate of the gospel to all the world at the same level of engagement or service for God. Because God sovereignly gifts His people. He sovereignly chooses some into certain vocational ministries. But all of us as followers are at a point where we are to embrace this mission And ask God, Lord, what will you have me to do? How you've gifted me, how you've prepared me, how you've trained me, how you've moved me along the path of faith. How does that fit into your desire for my service to you? A surrendered heart. Paul says, Lord, what will you have me to do? An old-time preacher by the name of Vance Havner used to say, when you say Lord, there's no further discussion. He says, you cannot be like Peter and say, not so, Lord. Lord. Lord, there is no question in Paul's mind who this person was that he had encountered. Very clearly articulated, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. No question who this is now. Just point of surrender to that person. Lord, what will you have me to do? But notice in the text, in verse number six, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? In this response of Saul, there's two additional things here I think are, are important to understand trembling and astonished. There was an emotional and intellectual response to this truth about Jesus. This word trembling would at least suggest an emotional response. From Saul. Something that shook him up. The word astonished was just an intellectual response. Something that astonished one's thinking. Arrested his thinking, his thought processes. Keep in mind the context. I know you know the story. He's on his way to Damascus to do harm, right? To Christians. Now he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? He's astonished. His thought processes are being rearranged and and transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. He thought he was serving Jehovah God by going to Damascus and arresting and killing Christians. Now all of a sudden, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) So what am I to do, Lord? And what I'm darting at is this. When the risen Christ has captured our heart, our emotions, and our will, we are in a very good place to embrace his mission. Now stay with me for just a moment. Sometimes the struggle we have is that our heart's devotion to Jesus Christ Our emotions of worship and adoration are there, but our will sometimes resist. But when he has all three of those elements of who we are as human beings, to embrace the mission of Christ is no longer an obstacle that we're trying to overcome but an invitation that we enjoy. The will of God. Now, let's move on. The heart, but also the obedient will. And I've talked about this, but let me just emphasize this for a moment. In our growing up years, we are sometimes exposed to a mindset of independency, of being independent. You know, we're growing up, and we're told things like, um, hey, do your own thing. Become all you can be. Do what you want to do. Identify how you want to identify And suddenly, this pushes us into a mindset of pursuing our own will above everything else. We suddenly begin to fall into this concept that it's all about me, and Jesus is the genie that I rub to help me get my plans to work well. Now, we don't voice it that way, and we might even draw back a little bit when we hear someone state it that way. That's what happens. In our Christianity, we see Jesus as this this genie that we rub, that we pray to, that causes my life to go well because of my plans and my will and my choices and my direction. And we we have to resist that. Because that's not what it's all about. It's about, like the Apostle Paul says here, Lord... What will you have me to do? I surrender my will to yours. Now again, you know the passage well. But in Romans chapter 12, is not exactly what Paul brings us to. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, squeezed into the mold of this world. But be transformed. Allow that reality of the new birth of Jesus Christ change you from within by the renewing of your mind, the changing of your thought processes so that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so we see that embracing the mandate, the mission that Christ has given to us a mission that seems impossible. Take this message to the entire world. He makes it possible because of his eternal plan and his omnipotent power to the Holy Spirit. But it touches you and I in his sovereign grace that brings us to salvation and in his sovereign grace that leads us into submission. Which is a third element John wants to see in this text. Embracing the mission is exemplified in proclamation. In proclamation. Notice in this text that one of the most interesting things about Saul is that here is a man who spoke against the way suddenly becomes a man that is proclaiming the message of the way. That's transformation, that's conversion, that's change. He was on his way to Damascus to do harm to those who were of the way. He gets there and he begins to speak the message proclaiming the way. What happened, Paul, or Saul? Well, you wouldn't believe I told you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I met the risen Lord. He changed me. And out of that comes this this proclamation. Look at verse 20 of Acts chapter 9. It says, And immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This verb preached uh, comes from a very familiar Greek word to us, uh, karuso, meaning to herald, to proclaim, to publicly announce religious truth, while urging acceptance and compliance to preach. Notice what it says in verse 20. He's going to the synagogues and he is preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I know you understand this. Let me just reiterate it in this context. Here is Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, persecuting the Christians, now coming to the synagogue where he was going to arrest people, and he is preaching, he's proclaiming something about this Jesus. And what he is preaching, what he is proclaiming, is the very thing that the Jews constantly stumbled over, and many do yet today, right? The deity of Jesus Christ. Paul, who would think that it would be blasphemy to call Jesus the Son of God before he met Christ, now is preaching in the synagogue to the Jews that he is the Son of God, his deity. It's a changed man with a new message. Look at verse 22. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And our attention here is drawn to the verb proving. It comes from a Greek word meaning to cause something to be known to be certain. Therefore, defendable. To prove or show with certainty. So you get the picture here? Now he's, he's with the, the Jews there in Damascus, and no only is he preaching that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, but now he's taking the Old Testament scriptures, which he knew very well. And he is proving beyond the shadow of doubt from divine revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And then thirdly, look at verse 26. Twenty-nine, and he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus now understand in the flow of the context Paul is no longer in Damascus he's back in Jerusalem in verse 29 but he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus and disputed against the Grecians this term disputed indicates a continuing activity denoting the idea of discussing together to examine together to dispute And Saul was intent upon convincing these Grecians of the deity and the messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm driving at is this. Embracing the mandate, embracing the mission of Jesus Christ results in, is exemplified by, the constant proclamation of the message of Jesus Christ. Now, where did this change come from? And most of us would say without hesitation, and I would agree with you up to a point, well, the road to Damascus, right? (laughs) We've been talking about that. But there's a little phrase that I don't want us to overlook in this context. Because you see, if we're not careful, we might come away from this passage and say, you know what, I've never had a bright light shining around me cause me to be blind. I've never had that kind of experience. The question is, but have I experienced the reality of a risen Christ that has changed my life because of God's sovereign grace and my faith in His finished work? But there's something else in this text I want us to see. Go back to verse 17 if you would, please. At the very end of that verse, it says, Receive thy sight, next few words, and be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to me carefully. I'm not advocating we have to have a Damascus Road experience as far as the the same thing that Paul experienced as bright light, etc. But I am going to advocate that the filling of the Holy Spirit is still the sovereign work of God today in your life and mine. And when that takes place, the proclamation of the message of Christ is the natural outflow of that reality. Take some time. Our our time is gone. Take, Take some time to read through the book of Acts. And as you note, as you read through the book of Acts, when it references that the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what resulted? They were proclaiming Jesus Christ. Yeah, we have a mission impossible. If we tackle it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own abilities. But if we subject ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ because of his grace work in our life, filled with the Holy Spirit who indwells us, we embrace that mission. And God uses you and me to change our world one by one as he builds his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few moments together. So much more we wanted to explore here in this passage. But I pray that we have whetted our our heart's appetite to just think through in a very personal way what it means to embrace the mission of Jesus Christ. Not to pursue my own ways. Not to pursue my own will, not to plan my own agenda, but to say with the Apostle Paul, Lord, what do you want me to do? And by your Spirit, enable me to do it faithfully to the glory of Christ, my Lord, my Savior, my coming King, in whose name I pray, amen.